So I hope you guys are well. We are going to get started. Um, Genesis chapter 14. So my goal was to do all of chapter 14 tonight. And then today, I just couldn't, I knew (laughs) I'm not skilled enough as a teacher to be able to tackle everything in the front half. And then Melchizedek comes into play at the back end of 14. And that's just way too interesting to just pass over. So uh, we're not going to do all of 14, but we're going to have a fun time studying uh, Melchizedek and uh, everything going on with him. We'll touch on it a bit tonight, but I'm not going to fully unpack it, but we're going to set aside a study uh, next week. If I'm here, I, I really should have a brand new baby boy by next Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> my, my wife really hopes so. Yeah. <laughs> See, May. Oh, yeah. We could put her to work. We got the exercise ball at the house, and she just sits in front of the TV, bouncing on the exercise ball, trying to, ball, trying to shake that stubborn little guy out of there. Yeah. I know. A little punk. Spank him right away when he gets out. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, no, dad. Yeah. So, yeah, chapter 14, we'll touch on Melchizedek a little bit, but um, don't dismay. There is a ton in verses 1 through 20. So I'm not downplaying what we are going to study. Uh, there's a lot in it, uh, and I'm excited for it. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't think I've told any of these stories to you, but it, it ties into our to our study, and I was thinking of it as I was going through this study, is uh, while I was, so we bought our house at the end of December last year, and then from uh, January till May, I was uh, living there by myself, really. It was, I wish I, I, I actually do have pictures of it, but you would be shocked at how I was living. It just is like on a mat with a blanket, dirt everywhere. But that's besides the point. Um, the Katie and the kids would come over and over and visit me. And the people who lived there before us just had, it's a big backyard, but it's, I wouldn't say it's big. It's not nice yet. It's just a big backyard. Someday it'll be a nice big backyard right now. It's just a big backyard. And so they didn't do anything to it. And it was gopher world, like a city of gophers living underneath there. And so I would, it actually became very therapeutic to me, but I would, um, basically hunt these gophers trying to get rid of them. And so I tried all, like I tried the smoke bombs and I tried the water and everything. And it finally just came down to it. I borrowed, a um, Mikey McCoy's pellet gun and it just was like, we're just, (laughs) uh, God's beautiful creatures. Uh, I was displaying my dominion over God's creation. <laughs> and it just became this game. Like, I kid you not, guys, I nerded out on gopher hunting to where I knew, I knew the time exactly that they would come out. And so it was like between 4.30 and 5, one would pop up and get whatever roots and stuff it in his cheeks and then take it back. And I knew where they would be. And this sounds super nerdy. Like I went over the edge and I probably did, but because of music, I I've sat and trained my ears. So I think I'm actually, my ears are 
my ears are quick to hear things when I want to hear them. And it got to a point where I could sit in the chair <laughs> at like 4.30. I'd be so dead tired from working on the house. And I'd go sit in the yard with, in the chair and just close my eyes and start to just tune out sounds. So like, okay, those are leaves. Tune those out. Oh, these are bags over in the trash can. Tune those out. And I would tune everything out till it was like quiet. And I could literally hear, the, before they'd come above ground, I could hear, yeah, them like coming through. And so I'd know where I'd set, know where I need to set the chair and shoot them. Long story short, actually, I'll have that, that last slide of me and Everly. You can put that one up first. But so Everly came to visit. And this is, she, uh, she, her name for that gun now is the gopher killer. So if I, I pick it up, she'll say, Daddy, what are you doing with the gopher killer? But we set up, I drew on a piece of cardboard across the yard a picture of a gopher face. And so this is me and her doing, I'm letting her shoot the, the gopher sign. Oh, I don't know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there ended up, there ended up being, I got, I killed 11, wow. 11 gophers. But they're in the neighbor's yard too, right? No, it was just in ours. Really? Just a cursed yard. Really? Uh-huh. That's when they, that's when they go to town. Yeah. So anyway, this will tie in, but it, believe it or not, this will tie in, but my daughter comes to the house and this is when I'm still like working on the house. And she like, so it becomes this thing is like, daddy's like killing the gophers, killing gophers. And so she, she's totally comfortable, uh, with, with the yard and knowing that there's gophers out there and fully, really comfortable. And later we're going to see kind of how this digresses, but this works into uh, our study tonight. Uh, believe it or not is, uh, I'm going to try to use her as an example of our faith and our lack of faith and our, um, seeing ourselves in the image of God as he's created us and our true identity as we've been studying through Genesis and also us, uh, falling prey to fear and doubt and losing sight of what our true identity is as believers. And so we're going to go through Genesis 14 and it's the first, um, speaking of me shooting gophers, it's the first, uh, war in scripture. So I had a, I had war with 11 gophers and I prevailed. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to see here so far. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're rallying and forming a game plan now to overthrow my home. Um, I will, I will. Um, so I want to read through, uh, Genesis 14, one through 20, but I'm going to be a complete coward and bypass all the funky names. And we're going to jump in at, uh, verse eight, but, uh, let me, <laughs> let me catch you up to where we get to uh, what's happening in verses 1 through 7. So there's uh, Ketelamer and four other kings. Yes. <laughs> and him, him and four, I got the first one right, and the only one I'll attempt. Uh, him and four other kings. He's kind of the big dog on campus, right? So he's listed in this names of all these kings. So it's the king of this place, the king of that place, him and all these other kings. Um, they're, they're going to war with Sodom, 
Gomorrah, the kings of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and three other kings of different places all within the region. And it's unpacking that. Um, so verse three, the, these kings, so Sodom, Gomorrah, um, these, all these joined forces in the valley of Shittim, that is the salt sea, 12 years they had served Ketelamor, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Ketelamor and the kings who were with him came and defeated uh, Rephaim, and then it gets crazy again. So what's happening here is so they are uh, rebelling, and so Ketelamor, who's up north, is coming down what's called the King's Highway, and they're coming down and conquering this rebellion that's happening. Can you put up that one map? I'll guys show you a bit what's happening. I know it's hard to see, but that orange line that's on the far right side coming from the top. So this is like that conquest. So they move down on the east side of the Dead Sea and they go all the way down and then they come back up and then they're going to go up the west side of the Dead Sea. And then also you can see the, the red lines. That's Abraham's migration uh, to Egypt and Canaan. So you see him going to Egypt and then going back. And then the blue dotted line is actually what we're going to study tonight. It's uh, Abram pursuing uh, Ketelamor and these four other kings to retrieve his nephew Lot. And then if you see at the very top there, it says Dan, which I'm sure you can't read, but you actually, and that's the part I was telling you tonight. This is a, you actually go there when uh, on our Israel trip it's uh, an Abraham's gate. If you guys remember who's been to Israel, Abraham's gate is there. You can go to that next slide. I'm sure some of you have a picture that looks like this, yeah. right? So this is where Ketelamor and his men had went through this gate and Abraham and his men went through this gate. So this is, if this helps put some kind of perspective, I'm visual like this. So when I, so the reason I cower from all these names is I, man, I, no matter how much I try, even if I can pronounce them right, which I can't, I get halfway through and then I find myself thinking about like, did I turn the stove off? Like stuff that makes no sense. My mind just drifts. But if I can see things, then it makes more sense to me. Um, and we were just talking before how when you take a trip to Israel, you realize the geography and the small area that all these stories are contained in. It's so much happening in this small area. And then for those of you who have been to Israel, you literally stood right there. So we're going to talk through that passage tonight of what, what you're looking at uh, going into Tel Dan. Um, so that's where we are at. So there's this war that's waging. It's the first war we have in scripture. And it's these Ketelamor and four other kings warring with the two that you're going to remember is the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and I'm sorry, Ketelamor and three other kings, Sodom, Gomorrah, and three other kings. Because there's specifically, it's four against five, which that's important. We're going to tie into that later. But that being said, if we're all cut up, let's, uh, would you stand with me as we read through scripture? We're going to start in verse eight and go to 20. And there'll still be some names in here, so I'll still butcher these up. All right. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of uh, Adma, and the king of Zeb- 
Zeboim and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Shittim, which is Cheruboim, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar. Four kings against five. So uh, just a note right there, and I'll cover later. The five is on the side of Keterlamor, right? So you have four kings with Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom, Gomorrah, and, and two other. I probably said that wrong again. Sorry, sorry. Four kings with Keterlamor, five kings, Sodom and Gomorrah, and three other. Uh, now, verse 10. Now the valley of Shittim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one had escaped and came and told Abram, the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner, and these were the allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house. 318, that's also, we're going to cover that, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan, which is what we just looked at. That's where that uh, gate is that we just looked at. And he divided his forces against them by night, and his servants, uh, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to uh, Hobah and north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Verse 17. After his return from the defeat of Keterlamor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveth, which is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemy into your hands. And we're going to stop there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this evening, and Lord, we just ask that as we... um, open up your word. And as we dive into it and we study it, Lord, our desire is to, uh, to be diligent, Lord, to be honest as we study your word, Lord, to not read into it, but Lord, let it read us. And so we ask Holy Spirit, we can only do that through your guidance. So would you guide me? Would you guide all of us? Would you, uh, give us open ears and soft hearts? Um, Lord, would you speak through me and would you Grow us all together as a family as we study your word this evening. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you guys remember setting the stage for what we just read, as, and we're going to unpack tonight. If you remember, um, we just came off of um, God's display of his dominance as the God of all gods in Egypt, right? So Abram goes there and completely chickens out and offers, tells a lie, offers his, his wife over, and he's uh, behind the scenes. What's happening is he's completely lost faith, and God is going to deliver a promise, and so he's just trying to navigate life on his own, and the Lord displays his dominance over Pharaoh, and so we see the God of gods there, this big world power at the time. Uh, even though Abram and his unfaithfulness is present, the Lord has proven faithful in his covenant to him, 
And then right from that story centered around Abram and really his lack of faith, Abram and Sarai. Then we go to Abram and Lot. And now Sarah is not mentioned. We have another story of how they're interacting and their, their herdsmen are bickering and they can't dole on the land together. And so Abram says, Lot, pick which way you're going to go. If you go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Whatever it may be, pick one and I'll go the other place. And so we, we walk through how Abram's faith is being stretched and being worked out and his faith is growing, even though we come off of a story in Egypt where it seemingly has no faith. We're seeing the Lord uh, stretch his faith and work his faith out as, as he moves along. And so here um, we talked last week of the discouragement of, of seeing Lot go, I'm sure. The discouragement of still not having uh, a descendant, of still not knowing that the Lord has promised this thing, but it's not in front of him. And as I've referenced a few times before already, is that he doesn't have scripture like we do to, to read ahead and be like, oh, it works out in the end. He just has to like, oh, like, all right, I still don't have a kid here and I'm getting old and time's going by. And with any one of us, that's, I mean, that's how we see life now in our own lives. Uh, like I can tell the story of my dad and I can tell it beginning to end because I know my dad's entire life but my life personally that I'm living that I need faith for, I don't know what happens past this moment and this moment and this moment. And so we're just running into this, uh, not, not the black hole makes it sound bad, but we're running into this future that we can't see and we're not meant to see. We're just running into it, uh, having faith in our father, which is again, remember we've unpacked this multiple times, but it, it bears repeating that Noah and Abram, these two giants that we would say in our faith, they are not perfect men, but they were men who believed in the Lord. And because of that, uh, it was counted to them as righteousness. And remember, I'll repeat it again. is that we are not called because we are qualified. We are qualified because we are called. And it's saying, it's, the tr- it's true with you, it's true with me, it's true with Abram, and it's true with Noah, and it's true with these characters of the Bible. These people are not perfect. Uh, perfection belongs to Christ and Christ alone. Um, these people are, are navigating life imperfectly, but hanging on to or being held on to by a perfect God who has a perfect plan, though we can't see it um, all the time. And then we see at the very end last week, this, this disappointment, maybe a, a faith that's, that's waning or it's, it's definitely up and down. Then we see God reiterating at the very end of 13, reiterating his promise to Abram. And so he is infusing him with this, hey, this is my promise and I'm still here and this is still happening. This is still where we're going. Uh, maintain your faith. And so then we jump right, like that's literally the last verse in 13. And we jump right into 14 and we have, and this king and this king and this king and this king are warring with this king and this king and this king and this king. So our, uh, the backstory that's coming up in here is obviously Lot. So that story that we had last week of Lot choosing to go uh, to Sodom where it was beautiful. He's camping just right outside Sodom, but he's taken the land that's lush and beautiful and Abram's going the other way. And we're going to see here that just like all of our lives, what's, what's pretty, what's attractive, what 
what looks like the greatest thing doesn't always turn out to be the, the, the greatest thing. And that shows us and it reminds us of our dependence on that we need to, there's no small things in our life that we need to lay everything before the Lord and weigh it up to his plans and say, Lord, would like, what do you, what would you have? Because I can't see two seconds in front of me in my future. What would you have me do? And as he directs our path, they're going to be straight, right? So here we have uh, lots uh, taken captive. These kings are, are warring. And as I showed you, they're coming down. This is what's known as the king's highway. So they're coming down on that east side, conquering, and they're going their w- on their way up. And Ketolamor and these, these kings are a force to be reckoned, reckoned with. They're going through and, and conquering these places. And then we even, where we picked up, um, well, first, actually, I'm going to get it, get ahead of myself here. Um, we see Abram's nephew, Lot, right? He gets taken, his family gets taken and they take the, the spoils of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and they just continue this quest back onwards and they're moving upward, um, back North. Now, typically we can, um, we can kind of make children's morality stories out of a lot of biblical texts. And what I mean by that, if I can make that make some more sense is that we can, um, for instance, you guys have heard me say that that we often view characters in scripture is very black and white, that these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. And so do what this guy does and don't do what that guy does. And we're not perfect. And therefore scripture isn't black and white. We're seeing people fall and stumble. And so it's a lot of gray area. It's pursue Christ. And the rest is this, this not gray area of, we don't know what we believe, but gray area of, of our pastor says it all the time is that, the sheep can become wolves and the wolves become sheep. And we go back and forth. And like, even with our, within our own family, we, we bite each other and we harm each other. And, uh, any one of us is susceptible at any moment to just be living completely fleshly and going after our own desires. And so I don't think every story is a story in morality of be this, be this way, but there are instances where these characters line up with a theme that's also in scripture. And in that sense, it is, it is a place where we can see this is the character of God on display. And I think this is one of them is Abram's pursuit of his nephew lot. I think this is the, the heart of, and we're going to unpack next of what he's up against, but one, the heart of restoration And this is the heart of our father that we know from the overarching story of scripture, right? It's the restoration of humanity of Eden being in Genesis. And we get to revelation and we're seeing the restoration of that revelation, the new heaven and the new earth and all the imagery of Eden that our God is a God of restoration and thank him that we have, we get to actually play a part in this restoring framework in, in history. And so our God is a God of restoration and we see lot gets taken away. These people get taken away and Abram pursues and he goes after him. If you can turn with me to Proverbs seventeen seventeen. 
And this is what I was saying. This lines up with the, the heart of our father and a challenge for us as believers. Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I, I know this is so true in my life. I know this is true in all of your lives. I have, I have a lot of people that I call friends and blessed by that. Um, my buddies who there's another place in my heart, in my mind, in my life for those friends who weren't the ones that just shared in good times. Um, but it's the faces that I can think of when life, when my life was the darkest, it was those friends, uh, running into that, that darkness that just showed something different, showed something deeper about them. Um, they're the faces I pictured when the next trial shows up. They're the, they're the faces that I know are going to be there. And that's the, the witness we have as believers. And we're going to see it um, to believers and unbelievers alike. Um, but we are made, you are born for, I am born for times of adversity for someone else. And I don't know if we think that way a lot, or I don't know if I don't think I think that way a lot, but it's really true of me. It's really true of you that when your brother or your sister, and I I use that in our spiritual sense, our brothers and sister, when your brother or sister hits adversity, when they hit rough times, when they hit uh, sorrow, you were born for that moment. I was born for that moment. A brother is born for adversity. I'm born to, to jump in there with you. I'm born to, to fight alongside you and to step down into that, um, that pain with you. That's, uh, especially with, when my dad was passing, that was the thing that, um, I mean, I had so many people, um, loving on us and caring on us. So I don't want to belittle anyone else, but my buddies who, wouldn't have anything to say, but would just step down into the sorrow and just like, um, as weird as it sounds, like be sad with me. It was so weird that that was comforting is just didn't, I didn't, I didn't need words, but somebody to be just like physically, it seemed like they just stepped down into just some dark, sad stuff. And it's a witness that we have as believers is that we actually have a hope. I had one really good friend who's not a believer anymore and he did that. And the, the thing that was telling to me is this guy is a unbeliever. He would do anything in the world for me and I love him to death, but just his worldview, like he has no hope. He has nothing to hope after. And so there was even a part of me where navigating with, uh, with my dad and having him sit next to me, I genuinely feeling sorry for him of, man, I have a, I have a hope. I have a hope with, of where my dad is. And I have a hope of the point of this life. And he, he has this life is this, and then there's nothing. Um, so fatalistic. Um, but even he encouraged me 
And he's someone without a hope. We are believers with hope. We have a true and living hope in Christ. And so when we step into these dark times, when we step into people's sorrow, this is the time that we can be the brightest. And I truly believe as, as believers, it is, it just makes a lot of sense. It's the darkest places that we can be the brightest, be the brightest light, right? When things are the worst, that's really when it's like, hey, this is perfect timing for us. We hear our pastor talk all about it just with California. California is just in such a bad spot. It's, it can only be the Lord that can, that can save it now. It's, it's the truth. When, when times are so dark, that's a time for us as, as believers to, to step in, to step down into the sorrow, step, step into the trial, and truly reflect our creator, the one who we image and, and show a selfless love of living for someone else. And we see Abram doing this here in pursuing Lot, which makes no sense at all when we go through the rest of this. So I would say if you do uh, notes, the first thing is we reflect Christ by restoring our brother and winning the lost. So your, your brother, your sister, who's in a, a hard time as you pursue them and get down into the, the dirt and the mud with them, you're going to restore them, whether it's sorrow or whether it's sin, whatever it may be. We, we get our hands dirty as believers. We're the hands and feet of Christ and the hands and feet of Christ were dirty. He was getting dirty and he was washing feet and he was eaten with tax collectors. He was getting dirty in life. And as we are believers who are playing a part in this uh, restorative framework that the Lord has for us, that our hands and feet should be dirty of stepping down into this dirt of uh, a fallen brother or sister or the sorrow of a brother and sister to restore them. And also to step into the lives of the unbeliever so that they have a chance to see Christ in their greatest need. So for us, it's being a light in a dark place. And for them, like I was describing with my friend, he doesn't have a light. So when he encounters dark times, there's no hope whatsoever. It's just, well, this is the, the card that life dealt me and I just have to deal with it. That's when I can be the lightest to him and show them a creator that, that I reflect, that I have a hope. So as we reflect our creator and as we pursue others and live for others, we're going to restore our brothers and sisters. And also we're going to draw the Holy spirit is going to use that to draw men and women to himself and, and bring them into the family. Um, so here Abraham or Abram is pursuing lot. We reflect Christ by storing our, by restoring our brothers and winning the lost. Um, nextly, this leads to Abraham's, his faith. So I said it was important that it's, it dis, it was distinguished in the verse that it's four Kings against five in verse nine. And so you have four Kings against five. And so you have like four of the, four of the bad guys with five of the good guys, I would say, if you want to divide it up that way. So, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah being the good guys and they still lose. So here's Here's the numbers. Here's what's at play here is the, this is going to be really reminiscent of a lot of things in scripture. And because scripture, there's a lot of foreshadowing and in scripture, there's a lot of echoing of things. Um, and it's, it just points to the sovereignty of God. And as you guys heard me fumble through it a few weeks ago, it's, 
it's too much to explain. We need to do multiple uh, nights on sovereignty and free will to, to get through it. But here we see the Lord, uh, things repeat over and over again as the Lord is leading up to it. We're constantly pointing to Christ. And so this may remind you of the story we just read through in Egypt of God displaying his power over Pharaoh and the, the, that pantheon of gods. Or it remind, right, might remind you of Gideon's army, or it might remind you of David and Goliath, or it might remind you of Jericho, or take your pick of any story in scripture to where the guys who shouldn't be winning win. That's the story we're heading into here. And so that we have these five kings can't defeat Ketelamor and these guys that are coming down and conquering. And so Abram takes 318 of his people and he starts heading north to intercept this army that has just gone through and conquered all these people. And I think right there we see one, we see the love for his nephew, um, love for his family which we should have as believers, a love for each other of pursuing and restoring each other at, at our expense. We should be restoring people at our expense. Not I can restore this person. It's convenient, but it, it's okay for it to cost you something. It's okay for it to cost me something to, to restore someone, to have to give up some things, to spend time with someone, to, to walk through things with them, to meet with them, to talk for a few hours when I have a million other things to do. It's okay to cost me something because that's what our savior was about. And that's what he modeled for us is caring for people and restoring people. And so here we have Abram pursuing them uh, with 318 people pursuing Lot, his nephew. And what does he do? So they, he pursues them all the way up to Dan, which you guys saw the gate there. And he pursues them all the way up there. And in in me, what I would do, and maybe you would do the same, maybe you wouldn't. But I would get there, and it, it, this points to the heart of Abram. And again, I think this is pointing to an overarching that Abram's heart is being sanctified and turning towards becoming more and more like Christ, who hasn't even come yet, but it's through God is turning his heart and sanctify him, sanctifying him as he's walking this out is Abram doesn't go up and get, where's my nephew lot. Okay. Where's your family? Get the rest of the family. What's of all this stuff of all these places they conquered. Where's your stuff? Okay. Those are your horses. Those are your goats. Okay. Grab those. Let's go. He grabs, he restores everything, right? He gets all the people from Sodom that had all these people that had been captured, all the, let's read it. Um, when Abram heard his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces up against them in the night and his servants defeated them. Then they brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen lot with his possessions and the women and the peoples. So he's restoring, uh, bringing everything back. And we're going to see this interaction then with uh, the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, which we can't get into. I really want to, Um, but he's, he's coming back and he's restoring all these things. And this is the heart of, of Abram. 
And it, it really is pointing back to what I was just talking about is we know, we know what happens with Sodom and Gomorrah, huh? Not, not pretty, right? Yeah. Kaboom. This context gives us a bigger picture of what's, what's happening here, right? And I think it's a, a bit of a microcosm of what we can do as believers is one, Abram goes and restores Lot. So let's view that as our brother, our sister in Christ, who has been taken captive by sin. Let's say they've, they've fallen into sin. Or let's say life has, is just beating them up and they are in the pit. So we go and we pursue and at, at cost to us. And when it doesn't make sense to us, and probably uh, when we feel over our heads, um, that's, a, that's kind of a good sign. I'll give you that hint. Uh, when we feel over our heads, we pursue them and restore that brother and that sister. Now for the unbeliever. So look what happens to these people captured uh, in Sodom and, and for the king of Sodom, who these wicked people then are taken captive. Uh, calamity falls on them. Then Abram goes with, it doesn't make sense at all that him and his 318 men can make this happen. So they go and it displays the power of his God as he redeems all these people. And they come back and it's really this option for these Kings. It's really this option for these people of look, you've seen, you've seen where the power lies. You've seen out of all these Kings, you've seen who's the King of Kings here. You've seen now, what are you going to do? Sad that Sodom has the outcome that it has because of they saw firsthand. They saw firsthand the power of Yahweh, the power of the God that Abram served. And yet Sodom has Sodom and Gomorrah has the outcome that it has. And it's uh, again, Abram's our opportunity as we, uh, can mimic him as he mimics Christ as the Lord is sanctifying him is that we can be this light in these dark places and we can live as we live by faith and us living by faith, not only shines a light to a world of who our King is, but it also shows us our true identity as we live in faith so if, if Ken were to, he comes across some situation and we all watch him live by faith through it. All of our faith is then encouraged, right? Because we see our brother in Christ walking through something, living by faith and like, man, that encourages me. Like I can, I can live by faith too. I can see Christ living in him. But what's also happening is as Ken's walking through that, um, as he would attest to, and I'm sure any one of us would attest to walking through a situation as we walk in faith, it's an encouragement unto ourselves, seeing ourselves the way that we were created to be, to bear the image of Christ. And so it, it's this, um, it's, it's this odd thing. It sounds odd, but it's, it's very, uh, it makes a lot of sense in the, in the sense of that we can all say that, all the good in our life, we would all be quick to say that's Christ living through me. 
And then in anywhere that we failed, we'd be quick to say, that's completely me. That's all me. Right. And so it's that same thing as when, when walking through something faithfully, it's an encouragement to others, but it also encouraged, say for me, it encourages me because I go, wow, I can tangibly see Christ living through me because this doesn't make any sense. I should be really discouraged right now. I should really want to give up right now. I should really want to bail on this idea or this thing that the Lord's put in my plate, but I'm still here and I know that's not all me. That's Christ living through me and it's an encouragement into myself as Christ is, is living through me. And so it's this identity uh, that we can see that we've been unpacking all through Genesis. Remember, uh, as we were going through the creation story, it was all about identity, who we've been created to be. And this, that's why Genesis is this, that's why it's Genesis, the beginning. That's why it's the springboard for the rest of scripture, because we find our identity and who we're called to be, our true identity in Genesis. And so here we see Abram, who just not long ago is in Egypt, cowering, scared of Pharaoh, not walking in faith, living in fear, living in doubt, taking life in his own hands, trying to navigate his problems by his own wit and his own wisdom. And the Lord saves him regardless of all these shortcomings. And now we see over here, Abram quick with 318 guys in a war that he should never win with a promise of he's supposed to be in the promised land. He's supposed to have descendants that are as, as the stars of the sky and the dust of the earth. Um, and, and that all the people of the earth are going to earth are going to be blessed through him. And he's pursuing lot with this reckless abandon. I think knowing having faith in his promise. It's something that I've really come to um, enjoy. I really enjoy uh, taking over the care ministry and running with the care ministry. I am not equipped for it. I'll like be real frank with you. I, I think the only, the only equipping that I can see is the, is the equipping that the Lord did that I never realized he was doing, but the blessing of having walked through tragedy in life has now, I can see the Lord using it for good because I have, uh, I've, I've walked through multiple trials in the last few years. And so I see that, but I don't have any like grief training. I don't have like, I'm you guys. I'm standing on a platform for some reason, but I'm you guys. I'm a, I'm someone who's trusted in Christ and trying to, faithfully, uh, rightly divide the word and serve and, and raise a family. And I don't have the answers to a lot of the problems, especially medical ones. Like I don't have answers to any of these things, but it's amazing how much I've grown to appreciate the fact that I don't have answers in that caring for people who are in the hospital or people who are, um, just hurting uh, feeling lonely. It's been a joy to walk into these situations, kind of thinking, I have no idea. And not like, oh man, I got, I got this verse, I got this verse, I got this verse. And just kind of playing it out in my head, like, I'm just going to do this, this, and this. And I have the best advice in the world. Like, hey, if you just do this, this, and this, like, it's all going to work out and you're good. But walking into these situations going, 
I don't know the players involved in this. I don't know where people are at. I just know, Lord, I want to be a light for you. And that's it. And walking in and being really humble. And if it's just crying with someone, it's crying with something, someone. And if it's opening scripture and unpacking stuff, it's that. But I've grown to really appreciate not having it all together because it keeps me from grabbing onto the steering wheel. It keeps me from doing what Abram did in Egypt of going, I got this. Let me take hold of it. And like, Lord, this one, I, I got this one. I can give this guy advice. I've been here before. I can tell him how it worked out for me and I'll, I'll do it. And it may be good advice, but my, what I'm doing, this is not healthy. What I need to be doing is in every situation going, Lord, I don't know what's in front of me. And I don't know what's in front of this guy or this lady. And I need you to speak through me because you see it all. You know what they're going to encounter. You know the storm that's going to hit as soon as I leave. You know what storm is brewing at the, at the house for them. You know what the doctor's about to come in and say. And I don't know any of this. You know all these pieces. So as much as I may feel like I have it figured out, guide me. And so I, that's what I love is that I don't have it all figured out. And that's, I think, good for us. Is that's what I'm saying? That's the hint for us is that when the cards are stacked against us, when the odds are against us, that's a good sign move ahead, move forward. It's because we don't have it within our own ability to solve the problem, to, to think our way through it. But it's a reliance. It's a, it's a forced reliance. It's a gentle reminder to rely on our Father who has all the answers. And finding our, our identity in Him, circling all the way back to my daughter and the, and the gophers. So it's been, she saw me, Shooting, she didn't actually see me kill a gopher, but she, she knew I was killing the gophers in the yard. And it was a thing of like, daddy, like, oh, yay, thank you for making the yard safe for me. And then the last couple weeks, it's become this thing now where the animal, the creatures in the yard, there's no gophers, thank the Lord, but our neighbors have like chickens. So like there's rats and then literally down to like bees and flies, uh, there's bunnies. We had ducks in our yard one time, but she's become scared. She'll run inside and be scared of animals outside. And so I I look at her and I have to remind her, which I think the Lord did with Abram, but I look at Evie and I remind her of who she is. And so I, I go through this talk with her of like, Hey, rats are scared of you. And flies are scared of you. And oh, ants. Ants are another one, which is hilarious. They're so small. But these things are scared of you. You don't need to be scared of them. Why are you scared of them? And from my perspective, it makes so much sense. But she's truly terrified. She's terrified of these animals. But it's this, and it's the newest thing. And it it goes so much deeper than these animals. And my wife and I have been discussing it. And it's a really good lesson for us as parents is that I've been finding with her, it's a constant call to faith. And I know I'm spiritualizing my daughter being scared of rats, which sounds completely normal at all, completely normal. Um, But we see here, the Lord has called Abram, right? And this is a story that we've been unpacking with Abram, is that he's called Abram. And Abram now is walking out into this scary world, and he's seeing things 
and it's rattling him and he sees Pharaoh and he, he, he sees all these things that, that are rattling him and he's not sure, like, I know this was the promise, but I don't see it right in front of me. And he gets scared. And so the Lord is stretching him and he's calling him to faith, continually calling him to faith. And it's like what I'm doing with my daughter. And it's, it's not just like with, with animals, but if she, um, if you guys, most of you have had conversations with my little girl, she is the sweetest thing ever. I love how her brain works. I love, she's such a social butterfly. She's epic, but she, oh, she's epic. Yeah. But she can be full on heathen devil child, like any other kid. Right. So in those times, I, and this has been my mantra with her lately is after discipline or whatever we had to do to get her to a point, I sit and I talk with her and I, I pull her to faith. I go, Evie, this isn't who you are. You aren't like this. You're so sweet. You're gentle with your family. You're gentle with your little brother. You love sharing. You love to smile. You love telling stories. You're so, so sweet this isn't who you are. And I, I'll even the other day she threw herself on the ground. I was like, did you ever see mommy or daddy throw themselves on the ground and whine? And she goes, no. I was like, that's not who you are. You forgot who you are and you just, you've forgotten for this moment and it's okay. But remember who you are. Like you're a mink. Remember, this is who you are. And not just telling her, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But pulling her to faith, pulling her to her identity. This is, I think, what I, what I see in, in my personal devotion as like, I'm giving my personal devotion to you guys. That's what we do Sunday nights is what the Lord is teaching me is that the Lord is pulling Abram to faith. He's saying, this is what I called you to be. And Abram, Abram gets scared and terrified of the rats, of the other gods, of the things that it makes. Why are you scared of those? Like to us, we like, you have God on your side, Abram. Why are you scared of those? But yet we can all point at things in our own life where we totally negate God's promise to us. And we're, we put, we elevate something over God by being more fearful of it than fearful of God. Like, God, I fear you, but that thing is scary. So I'm not, I don't want to go talk to that person. So I'm not going to talk to that person. And we, we, in doing that, create an idol and elevate them and that fear over our God over our savior. And so we can get on Abram of like, why would you lose faith? The Lord promised you directly, but we do it all the time. And it's like me and my daughter, it's like, why would you be scared of ants and rats? Like you have dominion here. Like you've seen, like I'll go outside with you. Like they're scared of you, but it's calling her to faith. And I remind her and I remind her and I remind her to where she gets to the point where she, it's funny now she'll be like, uh, she's like, yeah, yeah, daddy, uh, rats don't like people. I'm like, no, rats don't like people. Yeah, yeah, daddy, ants don't like people. No, they don't like people. Yeah, yeah, daddy. And they, it's even, they don't even like music because we take a little speaker outside and says like, they don't even like music. She's like, yeah, yeah, rats don't like music. And they run away. But this is, this is what's happening here. God is calling Abram to faith and Abram's faith is being stretched. And a lot of work went into 318 is a small number in these armies that have 
all come together. So it's 318 against, we don't know how many, right? 318 is a small number when you push, put it against that. But 318 people organizing that, that doesn't happen by itself, right? There is work. Abram raised 318 people to be able to go and go on this trek and pursue these people and be victorious, right? So there's work intangible work that's involved in our walk as believers. And we don't need to shy away from it that the Lord has brought us to faith and our faith is shown by our works. As we see in James, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So there's works in it, but the Lord also sets the odds in a certain way. And even the backstory paints a picture that we know there's work and Abram was faithful, but this is the Lord working. We can even go back and say, Abram wouldn't even have the 318 to pull from if the Lord hadn't been faithful back in Egypt, right? Because Abram loses faith and he's unfaithful and pointing towards what we unpacked. Remember that story is all pointing towards Exodus where Sarai um, embodied all of the children of Israel. So it's, it was Pharaoh enslaving the children of Israel in this picture. And then plagues came. So the same thing happened. Famine in the land. Israelites are enslaved in the woman of Sarai. And then the Israelites, the people. And then how does the Lord conquer in both those situations and then free those people by bringing plagues. So it's this foreshadowing that's happening in scripture. This, this is happening here. And so we have, Abram being unfaithful in Egypt. And remember when he leaves Egypt, he's left with a bunch of stuff. Pharaoh gives him a ton of stuff. And so it's, it wasn't his faithfulness even then that got him what he has, but is moving forward. And now he has what he has and it's not even a huge amount. And the Lord still uses it to bring about his will. And so in all of this, we see free will, happening in the midst of the sovereignty of God to where as we look forward, we have tangible decisions to make. And as we look backward, it's like, wow, the Lord, like this all makes sense. How does it all make sense? Because it seemed so, I made right decisions. I made wrong decisions moving forward. But yet as I look back, it looks all totally planned out. That's, that's the only way I can wrap my brain around it. If that helps you guys. So lastly, we are to call as the Lord has called us to faith and our identity. That's what we should be doing for each other is calling each other to faith is that brother, sister, that's not who you are. This is who you are. And as the world sees us in the same way, our first point is that as we walk by faith, it's an encouragement to us and, and to others as the world sees us uh, pulling each other and loving each other. That's how they're going to know us, Right. They'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our love for one another. That is, we're going to be pulling each other, pull each other to faith. So it's a, the example that uh, Abram has set for us. And we're going to mess up and we're going to forget. But just like the story in Egypt, when we do, God's still faithful, right? This isn't a consumer relationship to where God's only faithful and we're faithful. And if we are faithful, then he'll be faithful. And how how silly that sounds. And yet how often I still fall into that thinking is that I need to perform. I need to perform. I need to perform for God to be faithful and to, to do this for me. And that's not what he's laid out in scripture. It's that 
in the midst of your unfaithfulness, I will still be faithful because this covenant is not based on your faithfulness, but it's based on my love for you. And so real quickly, we'll touch on, um, it's really Melchizedek, which we can't get into him as a person, but it's plain to see in verse 20, which is what I want to leave off with is this great feat has happened, right? That all these people are being conquered. And then Abram and his 318 people go and conquer and they come back and then they have this meeting and Melchizedek says to him, blessed be Abram by God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. And here, this is where the credit always is due and blessed be God, most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. As we walk by faith, we're going to be a witness and an encouragement to our brothers and sisters around us. And as we walk by faith, we're going to be a shining bright light to a lost world around us declaring that our God is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the name above every other name. And there's a pantheon of gods in our current culture to live for. Affluence, um, popularity, a career, uh, friends, uh, finances, whatever, whatever. I mean, pick your, pick your idol. We are idol factories as human beings. There's no shortage of idols out there. There's no shortage of gods out there. And it's our privilege as believers to, do, to put God on display as the God of all gods, as the King of all kings, as the Lord of all lords, the name above every other name, that none of these kings can live up to that. And as we walk in faith, we're going to be this bright light that's shining for a world around us, calling our brothers and sisters who are lost, who are in pain into restoration and calling the lost and the broken to salvation. And we don't have to be perfect to do it. I'll reiterate it over and over and over again. These are not perfect men in scripture, but perfection belongs to Christ and Christ alone. But this is an example to us of the faithfulness of God. And we don't need to be scared of the world out there that when the cards are stacked against us, when fear comes over you and you I don't have the right words to say and I don't have enough verses memorized and I can't talk to this person about Christ, whatever it may be, whatever narrative runs through your mind and tries to freeze you in fear. Know that that name of whatever it is doesn't reside over the name of Christ and that you have a living God. You are a mobile temple that's living inside of you and that he's going to empower you in moments where all the odds are stacked against you, where you should not come out of it. He will empower you in those moments to glorify him and to expand his kingdom.